الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us to iman for having shown us the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for allowing us to be in the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's bounty and without his without his favors upon us we would be nothing and we would have nothing and we would not have the ability to guide ourselves and we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and upon his wives and upon his family and upon his companions and all those that followed them in their ways jazakumullah <coughs> khairan everybody for coming to this mihrab foundation sacred knowledge class on the nine nine names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so continuing on from last week, last week we spoke about Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Uh, did anybody have any questions from last week? Nothing? <clears throat> okay, so inshallah this week we'll continue on with uh, the next name that is mentioned in the hadith. And that name is Al-Malik. So this is actually a very interesting chapter. The ulama and the mufassirin go into a great amount of detail regarding this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Malik. Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he begins by first giving a general definition of what Al-Malik is. And he says that it loosely translates to the king. And that's how we know it, Malik the king. And then he defines it saying that the king or Malik is that in, its, in his essence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his essence and in his attributes has no need of any existing thing. And that is what it truly means to be a king. To have no dependency on any existing thing. Whereas every existing thing needs Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every existing thing is in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he says that every, every existing thing, everything that's in existence, it is either from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly, or it is from something that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this reminds me, when I think I was a junior or a senior in high school, and the students, for some reason, it was like a cooking class, and they started talking about God. And so one of the, uh, somebody said, I think it was a Christian girl or something, she said, God made everything. He created everything. That's a very accurate statement. So somebody else, he picks up his backpack and he says, did God create this? So it's a very one-dimensional thought, right? So Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he takes care of this notion and says that either it is from Allah or it is from something that is from Allah. And this is how we have to realize, uh, our, we have to look at our surroundings and everything that we've been given. Because there have been nations of the past, like Qawm Ad, right, the people of Ad, who they recognized their, their, uh, their own might. And this is something interesting also because usually when you have, you might have a unique feature, uh, but when it is common amongst the people, amongst a certain group, they might not recognize that as a unique feature, right? So for example, people from, you know, Russia and Chechnya, these types of places, they're usually very big people, for example, right? They're, they're bigger than your average, like, Pakistani Indian, probably bigger than your average American also, right? They're broad-shouldered, tall, lengthy, lanky. Like, they're just, they're big people. You look at them, and they're kind of like, 
you know, mountain men. They're like built to be soldiers almost. You look at them, right? However, since so many of them are like that, they might not recognize their own, you know, uh, what size and their own uh, strengths being something unique. But when you look at them, uh, us not being from those people, when we look at them, we recognize that they have these features which are unique to them, right? Or other people like them. However, Qawmu Ad, they were people that recognized their own might. They were large, huge people, right? And they were able to do magnificent things, carve into the mountains, right? Because they were so huge. And you can even find, uh, you can even find places where they, they may have existed. You have these huge doorways built into the mountains, and they're built like so much higher. They're not built on the ground, like where the mountain meets the ground. It's like sitting in the middle of the, the, the huge mountain. And so people wonder that, how did they even get up there to do it? It's because obviously they were huge people, but they recognized their might. So when Hud when he went to them and he told them that, you know, you guys, you have this, and this is a favor and a bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you cannot, uh, don't become arrogant in it. They said, look, we're so powerful, Who, what's going to crush us? Nothing can bring us down, nothing can bring our destruction. So they recognized their own, their own might, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what happened? He sent that severe wind and he brought truth to the statement, where he manifested the truth of the statement that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Right? They fell, like literally they fell and it brought down their, brought their destruction. And so it's important that we recognize anything that we might make also. And all our technology and our feats, it is still from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He allowed us to accomplish these things. And this is something, it seems like something small and minor, but our role as our slaves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to be submissive to Him. We submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what it is to be a Muslim. Right? We are submissive to His will and the things that He has meant to be good for us. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and so He knows what's good for us and He knows what's bad for us and He sent the Anbiya والسلام, to show us that way. And so Imam Ghazali says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the absolute king. And that is what it means to be Malik, Al-Malik. Then he gives his counsel and he says that insan can also be a king, but it cannot be a king, it cannot be a true king. And insan cannot achieve absolute kingship. So he says insan, or an earthly king, a human king, insani king, it's somebody who might have some dominion, right? They might have some dominion, they might have the largest dominion, they might have be head of the most powerful nation. And you have this in all times, right? Today, right? You have America and Britain. Uh, you've had the Caesars of the, of the Roman Empire, you've had the Muslims, you've had the Persians, the Greeks, all different nations have been uh, at the head and the forefront of the world and been the first world country of the time. So he says that even though the king of that land might achieve kingship of such a people and dominion over such a people, even they are not truly king. Because as he defined an absolute king, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is completely free and independent of his creation. Whereas... In Insani king, he's not independent. He still has that dependency upon his people or from his people, right? So you might have a king of a land, an Insani king. Uh, his dominion is only as strong as the people submit to him. And so what happens? You have revolts and rebellions all around. And so are they truly a king when the people rebel against them? And then what happens? They might send their soldiers to take care of the rebellion and the revolt. But still, they're only as strong as as strong as their soldiers defend them, right? And so when you have the soldiers of a nation, so for example, like in the late 90s, Pakistan, right, they removed Musharraf from his power in the, mili in the military. But because he was the general, he commanded the military, like, look, let's, 
let's take care of the situation. And they house arrested the leaders. So the leaders of Pakistan at that time, they, they actually had no power because the legion, the, 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 what's it called? The allegiance of the army was with their general. And so he took control of the country. So a king in the world is only as strong as the people around him submit to him. And even if everybody submits to him, and if we remove that from the equation, he is still dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he cannot be an absolute king. So Imam Ghazali uh, defines this. And then he goes into, or the ulama rather in these discussions, they discuss some of the names that are similar uh, to Malik. And so what are some of the names? Anything ring a bell? To Al-Malik. Not from the other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it sound like? Malik. Huh? Mulk, yeah. But mulk is more of like a, like a land or an area. Oh, about meaning. Yeah, something oh. similar in meaning, right? So you have in Surah Fatiha. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he is Malik Yawmiddin. Right? So you have Malik and you have Malik. And those are actually two different names. However, Malik is mentioned as one of the 99. Malik is not. And then you have Malik also, so Malik, as we discussed last week, is like Rahim, Basir, Samir. It follows that pattern, right? Should we state the pattern? You guys remember it? Maybe those that weren't here. So you have Rahim, for example, uh, which comes from Rahma, right? So you have the Ra and you have a Fatah on the first letter, followed by uh, the second letter, which has a Kasra on it, right? And then the Ya and the last letter, the Mim, Rahim. So you have a lot of names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that follow this pattern. Right, so Rahim, Alim, Sami, Basir, right? Malik is on this pattern. And we mentioned last week that this is the superlative form, the exaggerated form of this, uh, of this name. So for example, with, uh, with Alim, right? a person might be an Alim, and this is in Arabic called Ismul Fail, right? that uh, the doer noun, right? meaning the person that, or the thing that's doing this action. So in Arabic, the ismul fail, alim, for example, is only, you only hold that title as long as that action is being done. So you have another word called, uh, which is darib, right? Which means the hitter, the person that is hitting. You're only considered darib while you are engaging in the action of hitting. And once that action is over, you're no longer darib. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his names are not, uh, are not in the ismul fail form. They are oftentimes in the superlative form, which is alim. Because an alim, his knowledge is gained, right? He learns it. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is absolute. He never didn't have that knowledge. Right? We'll get into that when we do discuss the name alim. And so malik is like that. Meaning, it is a superlative form of the word, uh, of the name uh, malik. Which means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the true owner of everything. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Fatiha, He says maliki yawmiddin. That Allah ta'ala is the owner of the day of judgment. He's not the, He doesn't say He is the the king of the day of judgment. He says he is the owner of the day of judgment. Right? And so Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, or the ulama, rather, they discuss which of the names is greater. Right? So you have Malik, which is the owner, and Malik, which is king. And then you have Malik, which is like the absolute owner of everything. And so the ulama, they, they, they mention that all of the great names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the 99, as well as other names, right? other names that are not mentioned. So there's other attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Right? He is Malik, okay, but that's not one of the 99 names that is mentioned in this hadith. He's also uh, a sattar, right? the one who conceals, but that's also not mentioned as one of the 99. So there's actually more than 99 names, and as we mentioned, that they are all different attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But all of them 
are, are, are given to prove the truth about the kingship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to prove that his, his mastery over the kingdom, his being the master of the kingdom, of everything, of Al-Alameen, of the entire the worlds and the universe. All of his names are given to prove these things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the ulama go into a debate that which name is greater, Malik or Malik? Any ideas? Malik, Malik. Malik, why? That's good, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they mentioned that generally the people, the ulama say that Malik is a greater name. And the reasons they give for this is because they say for one, Malik is a name that is, it, it usually, it always comes being attributed to something else when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it. So for example, Malik Yawmiddin, right? Or Malikul Mulk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, قُلِ اللَّهُمَّ He says that, say, O oh Allah, the owner of the dominion or of the kingdom, right? He gives dominion to who, whoever He wishes. وَتَنْزِعُ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ تَشَاءُ And he takes, he takes dominion away from whoever He wishes. وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ And He gives honor to whoever He wishes. وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ And He disgraces and debases whoever He wishes. So Malik here, it comes with mulk. It's attributed to something else. It's not coming on its own. And this verse actually also tells us, it also gives us proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly is Malik. Even though Malik is not mentioned because in this verse it describes pretty much all states of ours. right? That in a worldly sense, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that's giving you your worldly gain. right? He gives dominion to whoever He wants and He takes it away from whoever He wishes. So it tells us that people come into power only because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows them to come into power. And just the same, he takes it away from them. Right? How else? I mean, you think about uh, the, the Revolutionary War. The, how did the colonies overcome Great Britain? You know, it was like unheard of. No one would have thought about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave victory to the colonies. Right? You had in the time of, uh, of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the Persians and the Romans. The Persians were, they, they had practically defeated the Romans to a level where they were completely like vanquished. Right? And so there's actually a verse of Qur'an about this where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after, between, sometime between 3 to 10 years, the Romans will have conquered over the Persians. So Abu Bakr he actually goes to the mushrikeen and he makes a bet with them. Because the mushrikeen, they looked at this triumph between Persia and Rome to say that, see, this proves that uh, idol worship is stronger than Tawheed. Because the Persians were idol worshippers and the Romans were Christian. So the mushrikeen of Makkah, they took this as a sign in their favor. And the Muslims were also feeling a bit dejected because they thought, okay, how, you know, how, how do we respond to this? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, don't worry, the Romans will have victory over them. And the Persians, or the mushrikeen, they thought Abu Bakr was a fool, radiallahu anhu, was a fool for uh, making this bet, for believing in this, uh, that the Romans would be victorious. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave victory to the Romans, right? And He gave it on the same day of the day of the Battle of Badr. The exact same day the Romans had victory. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even says in that verse that they will have victory and on that day the believers will be very happy and will be pleased. So they thought, okay, we'll be pleased because the Romans will be victorious. What they didn't realize is they'd be pleased because they had victory on Badr that day. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the actual owner and He gives dominion to whoever He wishes. And then it goes on beyond a dunyawi sense, still a little bit of a dunyawi sense, but nothing, not a, uh, a material sense. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives honor to whoever He wishes and he debases whoever he wishes. So honor is something that's not materialistic, right? It's not something tangible. It's our respect and our dignity that people have for us. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants honor to those that He wishes, and He also debases whoever He wishes. So you'll have people that are given honor and the whole world looks at them and sees them as someone great. But then they get caught up in some scandal, they get caught up doing something or exposed for something that they didn't want people to know about, and then they are debased, right? Or, some, or the world will be trying to debase somebody. I mean, look at, look at our beloved Prophet ﷺ. The entire world is working to try and debase and humiliate him. But what's happening? Islam is growing in numbers that no one could fathom. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing honor because it's his beloved. Right? Even like to the extent you have um, in, in LA, what's it called, like the Hollywood Walk or Celebrity Walk or something like that. I forgot what it's called. But they have like, I think in Hollywood, they have um, the names of very famous celebrities. The Walk of Fame, right? The names of celebrities paved on the ground, right? And like these plaques and whatnot. And when you get all the way to the end, I believe, I haven't seen it, someone was telling me. When you get all the way to the end, there's one name that's there, but it's not on the ground. It's on the wall. Which name is it? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Right? So even to that extent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no, the name of my beloved will not be on the ground. Right? So even to that extent, even I remember several years ago, Shaykh Hamza Yusuf was talking about after 9-11, all this stuff happening against Muslims, propaganda, and you come in through New York airport, JFK, you look up and he says a huge banner there is a picture of Muhammad Ali. Like, subhanAllah, the first thing you see coming into the country is a Muslim by the name of Muhammad. The whole world knows him, right? Like today, the whole world knows Michael Jordan, but not to the extent of Muhammad Ali. Right? Muhammad Ali achieved worldwide fame in that time, right? In the 50s and 60s, when there was no internet and everything. I mean, I can make a crazy video and it'll go viral and all of a sudden I'm famous, right? Muhammad Ali achieved it in that time, <laughs> you know, without those things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives honor to whoever He wishes. Anyway, going back to the point. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, the ulama mentioned that, that Malik comes attributed to something else. Whereas Malik comes on its own in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Huwallahu alladhi la ilaha illahu al-Malik. And then he goes on, Al-Quddus, As-Salam. So he says that Allah ta'ala, He is the one that there is no deity except Him. And He is Al-Malik, and He is Al-Quddus, and He is As-Salam. So Malik comes on its own. And then they go into even deeper points saying that you can have like the Malik of a land, right? Somebody can be the owner of a land. So Malik is the owner of the land, but they are bound to obey the Malik of that dominion. Understand? So Malik is the owner of a specific land, but Malik is the king of the entire country, for example. So the Malik in that case is bound to obey the Malik. And then he says that the, one of the last examples on which name is greater, Malik or Malik, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins in the Qur'an with Malik Yawmiddin, but He ends in the Qur'an with قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ nas, Malik nas. So if we think about essay writing, I don't know, maybe things have changed. When I, used to, when I was in, in university and everything, the way we were taught was that you always bring your strongest points at the end. Right? So you're writing like a persuasive essay, you begin with your introduction, and then you have your topic sentences, and you're trying to prove your point throughout. Always bring your... The, the, the arguments that are not as strong in the beginning, right? Not that they should be weak arguments, but as the essay goes on, your point should get more convincing. Till the very end, the last paragraph or the last point you're pr proving, and in your conclusion, you should be uh, going with your strongest points and your strongest statements. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ta ends with Malik. And so the ulama say that the conclusion of something is always stronger. And we know also from, there's a, a famous du'a that many of the ulama and the mashaykh, they, they do, usually they'll do it on, on, the, on Laylatul Qadr, 
uh, or the 27th night, whatever they deem to be, they think might be Laylatul Qadr. And they'll invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they'll beseech Him by all His different names. So they'll go through and they'll say, you know, uh, Ya Rahman, Ya Allah, Ya Rahim, Ya Allah. They'll mention the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then after that they'll say Ya Allah. And also at the very end when they mention the last name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again they follow it up with Ya Allah. And then they go on, they start making their dua. Right? This is a dua that the mashaykh actually make with the 99 names of Allah. Calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with every name. And they end it, they conclude it with Ya Allah. Which we discussed was the most powerful of names, right? What Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah's opinion was the Ismul A'adham, the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name. And even Imam Ghazali said, as we mentioned, that Allah is the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names because it comprises of all of His names and gives us the benefit and meaning of all of His names. And so he says that the conclusion of something is the strongest point. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with Maliki Yawmuddin and He ends with Malikin Nas, also showing that Malik is a, uh, Malik is a greater name. So then Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he goes on and he, he starts speaking about what is our share that we can take from the name Malik? How do we bring this into our life? Right? And somebody asked in the first class that what can we do in this class and try to improve ourselves? So he, he, he gives our share of how we can benefit from this name and how we can bring it into our life. Right? So last week we spoke about Rahman and Rahim, that you show gentleness towards someone when they sin, view it as your own misfortune. Right, and try and rectify them through softness, not through violence. Rahim, try to uh, at least fulfill the needs of like a beggar, for example. Um, and if you cannot, then at least share in their grief as though it's your own. So Ma- Malik, he says that first for Malik, we have to recognize what is Malik. And Malik is that kingship, absolute kingship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now if we try to focus kingship in, in whatever sense we can accomplish with the world, we might achieve it, we might not achieve it. But where, where does our dominion lie? What is it that we can try to have control and command over? And the, our kingdom is the kingdom of the heart. That we have to try and control our heart. And so he says, they go, the ulama go into saying that they describe the heart. And it's interesting that there's other books also that you can look into about the nine nine names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of them, in, when they speak about Malik, they go into a great amount of explanation and discussion about the heart. Linking the, the, the dealings and the, the, the dealings of the heart to this name Malik. They say the kingdom of Insan is actually the heart. And the heart is the place where two things are battling. Any ideas? Two things are always in a battle in the heart. Like it's it's literally a battleground for us. Yeah. Nafs and the soul, right? The nafs and the soul. So we have these two things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. The ruh and the nafs. And there's an um, incident reported that actually when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, when He made creation, then what happened? He created aql, intellect, right, reason. And He created uh, the soul, the ruh. And He commanded these two things. He said, go away from me. And they went away from Him. And He said, come near me. And they came near. They obeyed Him. He created the nafs. And he said, go away from me, and it came near. And he said, come near me, and it went away. So the nafs disobeyed. This tells us that the inherent nature of the nafs, of the lower self, is disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then how did Allah ta'ala make the nafs submit? He created hunger. So hunger was created so that we could bring the nafs into control and make the nafs submit. Once he created hunger, then the nafs submitted. And when Allah ta'ala commanded it, it obeyed him. And so our heart is this battleground between the soul and the nafs. They mentioned that this war that ha- takes place, it's ongoing. 
It is forever ongoing. The soul, what it does is it seeks help from the aql, from the intellect, from reason. And it takes, the, the, it takes reason as its sort of ad- advising minister. And what happens to nafs? It seeks help from the minister of ignorance. Right? Ignorance is the minister and the advisor of the nafs, whereas reason is the advisor of the soul and the ruh. And then he, they explain that the way of the soul, the practices of the soul, or the nature of the soul is to sit and to ponder and contemplate, to think. And what is the nature of the nafs? The nature of the nafs is to be hasty. And this is what we find that usually when we make a bad, mis- when we make a, a bad choice, what happens is we were hasty. Right? We acted without thinking. We acted without mashwara. And this is why mashwara, right, seeking uh, advice from people, is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ because it slows you down. It slows you down and it allows somebody else to give their opinion in a way that you might not have thought about. But it slows you down. And then, and then the sunnah is also to make salatul istikhara uh, so that also it slows you down. You don't jump into a rash decision because rash decisions usually don't end up well. So the way of the soul is to contemplate whereas the way of the nafs is to be hasty. And this brings up an interesting point because you know, in today's time we, we've become extremely hasty. Right? Most people, they don't really have ADD. Okay? It's just what we've surrounded ourselves with. I'm not saying it's not a, it's not a real uh, issue or problem, right? But I'm saying that most people, like so many people I know, they're like, oh yeah, I have ADD. I've been diagnosed with ADD. I've been diagnosed with ADD. It's not, I don't believe it's as common as it's made to seem. Some people, yeah, it's okay, legitimate. But most of us, our brains are just on fire. We're, we're overloading our brains with, you know, movies and video games and TV and music. And it's causing us to have a shorter attention span. So that when you sit and try to actually have a discussion or have a class, you can't focus anymore. Because we're used to you know, growing up playing video games where the colors are going crazy across the screen and our brains are just on, on fire, right? And then we have our phones now. Always, I mean, I do this myself. How often? Absolutely nothing to check on your phone, but you take it out, you turn it on, you unlock the screen, and you slide through all the screens. Well, like you have, I mean, you, we put all the apps there. We know exactly what's there, right? Nothing. There's no email to check. There's no text messages to check, right? There's no calendar, nothing. We checked all the scores, the news we want. We checked our Facebook and Twitter how many times? Absolutely nothing. But, you know, we still, we still do it. Like, we all get caught up in this. And we've become so uh, attached to our phones that even, you know, I went, I went to, I was traveling overseas a few months ago. I didn't even have my phone with me because I didn't have a SIM card. I was only gone for a couple of weeks. And constantly I felt my, my pocket vibrating. There wasn't even a phone on me and you feel it vibrating. Like that's how attached we've become to our phones that we think it's vibrating when it's not even on us. Right? So all of these things cause us to be hasty. And so what we have to do is we have to try and slow down. Now, Imam Nawi, Rahimullah, you guys have heard of Imam Nawi? Right? He's a great scholar of the Shafi Madhab. Great scholar. Most of the, the fatawa of the Shafi Madhab are actually based on Imam Nawi's opinions, not on Imam Shafi's opinions which is like an interesting fic discussion to have with, with the Shafis, you know. Um, but um, Imam Nawi was great, right? Not that he was going against Imam Shafi, but Imam Shafi had, um, you know, he, he had many opinions, and then he changed many of his opinions later on in life. And so Imam Nawi was able to um, sort of filter through them and come out with the Shafi madhab and what was, was the opinion of the madhab. Anyway, he writes, he's compiled a hadith book called Riyadh al-Salihin. We've all heard of Riyadh al-Salihin, most of us. Right? It's a hadith book where he's compiled hadith from many different books, mainly from Bukhari and Muslim, but from many different books. Chapter number five of Riyadh al-Salihin 
is the chapter of, right? So he has many different chapters, right? Chap- the chapter on Salah, the chapter on Saum, Sadaqah, different things. Chapter on Iman, right? So his Kitab al-Iman, he begins with the Hadith of Jibreel, right? Where Jibreel al-Islam, he comes to the Prophet sallam whilst the Sahaba are sitting there and he's, you know, in complete white clothing and his hair is jet black and the Sahaba, they don't recognize him, obviously, he looks like a man. And they said that, you know, we didn't recognize him, but he didn't have any signs of travel. So we're confused that he sh- we should know him because, you know, he doesn't have signs of travel. His clothes aren't dusty. Anyway, he sits with the Prophet ﷺ and he says, uh, you know, tell me about Iman. What is Iman? So the Prophet ﷺ gives him the principles of Iman. And then he says, you are correct. And Umar is narrating this hadith and he says, we're surprised that the questioner is affirming the answer to be correct. Like who asks the question and says, oh yeah, you're right. right. That's usually what we go to conferences and talks for, not to actually learn something. We go to like test out the, the person speaking, right? That is this guy, does he know what he's talking about? We'll ask a question for everyone else's benefit, right? Not for our own. Um, so they're surprised that the questioner is affirming the answer. And then he asks, what is Islam? The Prophet gives him the five pillars. He says, you are correct. And he says, what is Ihsan? And the Prophet tells him that it is that you... Uh, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see Him. And if you don't know that He sees you, right? That you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see Him. And Ali radiallahu anhu, he actually said that if, I, if Jannah and Jahannam were to be brought in front of me, it would not change the way I act. So much taqwa he had. He literally embodied, you know, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though He sees Him. He says, Jannah and Jahannam wouldn't change how I act if I were to actually see them, right? And so, that's, the, I think, the first hadith in Riyadh al-Salihin, or in the beginning. Chapter number five is Babul Muraqaba, the chapter on Muraqaba. What is Muraqaba? Anybody heard of Muraqaba before? This is like a, you know, sometimes it's a controversial term. We get freaked out when we hear about this. What, is the, what does this mean? This is bidah and all that stuff. It's Imam Nawawi. Take it up with Imam Nawawi. You know? <laughs> Imam Nawawi, rahimullah. Uh, or sorry, he brings this hadith in, uh, this hadith of Jibril, he brings in Babul Muraqaba. Muraqaba means to contemplate, Right? It's, and the, the way the word is, like the, the, the style of the word in Arabic, shows that it's like a two-way thing, right? So, for example, you, have, uh, you might have muqatala, right, or musafaha, right? It comes from the same type of word, musafaha. Musafaha means to shake hands with someone. It shows that there's a two-way thing happening. Muraqaba is also a contemplation that shows a two-way thing happening. So what's happening? And this chapter, this hadith of Jibril, has no mention about pondering, about meditation, so people wonder, why is this hadith being brought here? What does it have to do with contemplation? This hadith is linked to ihsan, excellence. Attaining excellence and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though we see Him. To having the utmost taqwa in our life. And so muraqabah is a practice. It's basically like a meditation. And there's many different types of muraqabah. Some people sit and they make muraqabah, their eyes closed, and they, they focus and try to say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with their heart, without the tongue. Right, they just sit. And this shows the hadith of the Prophet where in Asma anha, the sister of Aisha anha, she said that it was there were times where the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet would sit with him, and it was they were sitting complete in complete silence and for so long and with such stillness, it's as though the birds could have pitched up on their heads. And they're just sitting in silence with the Prophet. We're thinking like when we got we have to sit with him and we want we would ask him all these questions. They're just sitting silent. Absolutely no conversation is happening. But what was happening? This transfer was happening from heart to heart. And that's why the ulama even, they've been known that sometimes you'll ask the ulama, the mashaykh of the past, that, you know, let us benefit from you. 
And the shaykh would sit quietly and silently, and they'd say, you know, you, after a few minutes, let us benefit from you again. And he would say, if you can't benefit from my silence, then you can't benefit from my speech. Right? But we've become a people that our insides are so spoiled and so horrific that we try and cover it up with speech, right? with beautiful speech. But anyway, so this is something that the ulama say that this gives strength to the soul. It gives strength to the ruh to overcome the nafs. Because the way of the soul is to ponder and to contemplate and the way of the nafs is to be hasty. And so they, the ulama mentioned that the soul, it seeks to detach itself from this world. Right? That's how it gains victory, to detach itself from the world. Not to, not to leave the world completely, but the soul was created for Jannah. Right? Our bodies will die, but our souls will live on, and our souls will be entered into Jannah. Whereas the nafs, what do the nafs do? The nafs try to drown us, and drown itself in the pleasures of this world. And they try and make the, those, like, the despicable attractions, because there are some attractions in this world that are beautiful. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that we be attracted to them. But there's many attractions of this world that the nafs make it seem, try to make it seem more attractive and more beautiful to us. So that it distracts us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, makes us hasty, and leave the way of the soul. And so Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he says that if we are able to overcome and fight the nafs, then we will become like the pious and we will become angelic. And so the ulama state that the pious, so you have this battleground of the heart, the nafs and the, the soul, the ruh, they're fighting constantly. The pious and the angels, the sulaha and the angels, they come and they, they seek to give help, they seek to aid the, uh, the, the ruh. Whereas the demons and the lowly people, they come and they try to give power to the nafs. What happens? Right? We'll want to do something that's not good for us. We know it's not good for us. And sometimes we'll have friends that say, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. Right, like when I used to, when I was working before I went to go study, then we'd have these, there were these networking parties, right? And so usually that involves going to a bar. And they would say, I would say, no, I'm not going to come. Why not? Because I don't drink. So you can come. You don't have to drink. This is what? This is? People, the, 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 the devils are encouraging these people. I'm not saying those people are devils, right? They weren't even Muslim, like, we can't, oh, you're, you're a devil. You're trying to, you know, bring me down. No, like, they don't, they, they don't have the revelation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given, right? They haven't come across it yet to know what is good and what is bad. So the shayteen go and whisper to them that you try and get them, get this person to come out with you and go in this environment that he shouldn't be in. And so they'll say, oh, you don't, you don't have to drink. And then what happens? I never went, alhamdulillah. And then what happened? One time they said, I just want to see what you'd be like if you were drunk. Why? Would I be any different from anyone else? Right? So you have these types of situations. They come and they try and give power to the nafs. And many times people, when they're drunk, they are in complete control of themselves. They're using alcohol as an excuse to act the way they want to act, to act the way the nafs wants them to act, oftentimes, right? And so then you have, um, and this is actually, there was a study even done to prove this, uh, when they were studying placebos. They invited two groups of people in. One, they actually gave them, you know, some type of alcohol. And the other, they didn't give them any alcohol, they just said there's some alcohol content in here. And the group that didn't have any alcohol content in their drinks, they acted more drunk than the people who did. And then they were told, sorry, like you didn't actually have any, <laughs> anything in there, right? So it's, sometimes it's an excuse to act the way we want, right? And you, you find that with children also, right? Like my nephew, he's six years old. He, when he has s'mores, he gets really hyper, okay? He's six. But sometimes you can tell. He'll start saying, no, I, I have to let it out. It's an excuse because he wants to act out. He wants to be hyper, right? He gets a little bit hyper, but you see this in children. And children, 
their nafs are more dominant than anything else because they're children, right? And that's another reason why children are not, are not accountable either. Anyway, so then we also have the pious people, the awliya and reason. They come to our aid. The angels come to our aid. Just like we have shaytin whispering to us, we also have angels whispering to us to do good. There's a jinn, a shaytan that is with every one of us. But there's also an angel that is with every single one of us. And both are. One is encouraging us to do bad. The other is encouraging us to do good. Giving aid to the soul and giving aid to the nafs. And so then the, the, the ulama, they go on, they mention that this is, this war intensifies. And when we follow the way of the messenger of the Prophet ﷺ and we seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the demons and the lower self, they are vanquished and they are defeated. Right? And then we become, the heavenly kingdom then opens up to us. It opens up to us. And this kingdom, we take control of this kingdom, this dominion of the soul. The heart becomes the dominion of the soul. Where we... Are, we no longer even desire to do bad. There's many different types of wilaya also. The ulama mentioned there's different types of wilaya. Wilaya means to attain, to be like the awliya, to be a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they say wilaya to sughra, meaning the smaller form of wilaya, of this friendship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This can be attained by a person who desires to sin, but he refrains from it. So you can, if you desire to sin, sometimes we're tempted. But by you refraining from it, you can be, attain the status of wilayatul sughra, the minor wilaya. Wilayatul kubra is a higher wilaya. And there's many more also. But wilayatul kubra is a wilaya that you don't even desire to sin anymore. Imagine achieving this. This is those people who have vanquished the self. They have defeated the, the nafs and the heart has become the dominion of the soul, of the ruh. And it was regarding this that uh, Ibn Qayyim rahimullah, and many other scholars of the past they said statements like if the kings and their sons and the kings and their princes, if they knew what tranquility, what treasures lie in our hearts, they, they would have sent their armies to come and take it away from us. They would have sent their armies to take it away from us, but it's in our hearts, so they cannot touch it. Their tranquility and their peace was found in their hearts because they attained this status, they purified the self, they purified the nafs. But this is a battle that is constant, is continuous. We can never let up and think, okay, now I've won. Because what happens, this is why the ulama explained that you know, these battles, they go back and forth. Sometimes the soul wins, and sometimes the nafs wins. And so they say that because one wins at some times, and the other wins at other times, this is why sometimes a person seems very kingly, seems very graceful and, and honored. And other times, he seems like the devil. And you think, like, what happened to this person? It's just because this constant back and forth battle between ourselves, between our ruh, and between the nafs. And so we can never let our nafs up. You can sit and fight with your nafs for months on end, months on end. And then you, as soon as you say, man, I'll just, I'll give in this one time. Everything goes out the door, right? Something simple, for example, like one time I, I gave up drinking Coke, right? Just because I wanted to be healthier, right? Um, because, you know, it's not, I mean, it messes up your system. I used to play a lot of sports and everything. And I left it out for like six months. I didn't drink anything. I went to barbecues throughout the summer. That's everyone's drinking Coke and Pepsi, Sprite, all these things. I didn't drink it. There was no water. There was no juice. I didn't drink anything. But it, then one day I said, I'll just drink it once in a while. And then it just became like an everyday thing at one point. Alhamdulillah, I don't drink it every day anymore. But, um, <clears throat> you know, you give your nafs a little bit of room and it runs. So we can never let up with our, with our nafs. It's like, it's like the, you know, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu. What was his tactic in the Battle of Badr? The nafs will do this tactic also. Battle of Badr, what happened? Or sorry, not Badr, Battle of Uhud. What happened? 
The Muslims had victory, like victory was in their hands. The archers left the mountain before the Prophet told him, told them to. They left, but why did they leave? Because the Quraysh were practically defeated. Khalid bin Walid was standing. He had this plan from the very beginning. He was standing with his portion of the army in the side, just watching, not engaging. And then once defeat was practically there, the Quraysh were defeated, he turned and he took his fleet and he left. And the Muslims, they saw, oh, look, they're leaving. They're, they're fleeing. So then they left their post. And Khalid bin Walid, he circled her back around the mountain and he came back. This is what the nafs does. This is what shaitan does. They let up a little bit like, okay, no, you have it. You've won. You've, you, you're victorious. We let up a little bit, then bam, they come and they take us. And all of a sudden we find ourselves falling into like all kinds of sins or the worst type of sins. Right? So we can never let ourselves go. And this is why we don't go into an environment thinking, I, I will be strong enough. If we're forced into an environment that is not healthy for us, then we have to, str- to, to strive and be strong. But we don't go into it thinking, no, this won't affect me. And so the ulama, they write, this is why Ibrahim Islam he made the dua, Rabbi habli hukma wa alhiqni bisalihin, that, oh Allah, you give, grant me wisdom and you associate me with the pious. Grant me wisdom. This, this goes back to reason. That what is the advisor of the soul? It is reason. So he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant me wisdom so that I, my soul will have help and put me with the pious people so that I will have all those that would aid me and help me against the shaitan and these types of things and against the nafs. And then Musa al-Islam, he said what? قَالَ رَبِّ شْرَحْنِي صَدْرِي وَيَسْتِرْ لِي أَمْرِي That, oh Allah, oh my Rabb, expand for me my chest and make my affair easy for me. Because they recognize this constant struggle and onslaught from shaitan, right? And these are the prophets. They were already saved from sinning. They did not sin, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected them from this. Even Rasulullah sallallahu said, وَقُلْ رَبِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ هَمَزَاتِ shayateen." That, O oh Allah, protect me from the approach of the shayateen. I seek, O oh, oh my Rabb, uh, I seek refuge in you from the approach of the shayateen. وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ رَبِّي أَنْ That, O oh, oh my Rabb, I seek refuge in you from them being present. Right? So Rasulullah even made dua for this. He sought refuge from the plotting of the shayateen, from the ways of the wicked. So should we think that, no, we're strong enough, we can go into an environment and we'll be strong enough? No, we have to try and protect ourselves. We have to try and protect ourselves. And so, Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he says, I want, just want to actually read this portion from his book. He says that if we make this, the heart the dominion of the soul, then we will become angelic and we will become like the prophets. Because the prophets, they achieve the highest level of kingship, higher than any other king could achieve. Because a king is somebody who is not dependent on anyone else. They achieve such independence that they didn't seek assistance from anyone except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't need guidance from anyone except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was making their tarbiyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was, making, was nurturing them and making their tarbiyah directly. We don't have that, right? So we have to seek the assistance of the, the ulama, the awliya, the ways and the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. So he says the prophets had the highest share of this kingship followed by those that follow them. Right? Followed by the, the scholars, Imam Ghazali rahimahullah mentions. And then he says that a person will then approach, will pro- approach Allah and, and, and proximity to Him. Then he says that one of the, the arifun, right? one of those people, the awliya, right? one of those people that gained marifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, realized the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, one of the knowers was right to respond to a prince who said to him, ask me for what you need. So a prince came to this person and said, 
what do you, you know, ask me what you, whatever you need. And so this, this Arif Billah, he responded, he said, Is that the way you speak to me when I have two servants who are your masters? The prince said, Who are these two masters? The, the Arif, he said, Greed and desire, for I have conquered them, yet they have conquered you. I rule over them while they rule over you. And one of them, uh, and then somebody said to another sheikh that advised me, and he said to him, Be a king in this world, and you will be a king in the next. And when he said, How might I be a king in this world? The sheikh answered, Renounce this world, and you will be a king in the next. He meant, Detach your needs and your passions from this world, for kingship lies in being free and able to dispense with everything. So this goes into the dominion of the heart. Right, this spiritual heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rasulullah said that whenever you commit a sin, a black mark, a dark mark comes on your heart. Now, heart surgery is done, the heart is taken out, and we look at it, there's no dark spots on it. A person may be immersed in, in, in sin, right? Or not even believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet their heart is, looks normal. So, what, was the Prophet lying? Now, the billah, of course not. The Prophet was talking about the spiritual heart, the heart of the soul. And this is what we have to strive to rectify. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, That those who strive in our way, we will definitely guide them to our path. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq of having dominion over our hearts and rectifying and purifying our, our nafs and our souls. Any questions? No? I know we kind of went away from Malik, but... This is what the books, the Mufassireen, they all mention. Even when they speak about, even the, the tafsir of the Qur'an, of ayat that talk about Malik and Malik, they mention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mutasarrif, meaning he is control of, has control over all affairs. Um, and then they go into this discussion about the soul. So it's very linked. And this is how Imam Ghazali rahimullah mentions is our share in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-Malik. No questions? اللهم انت السلام انك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام سمعنا واطعنا غفرانك ربنا واليك المصير ربنا اتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار عذاب القبر وعذاب الموت ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقه لنا به واعفوا عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا انت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين يا الله Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, remove the darkness and the filth from our hearts, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, you have allowed us to spend time in your path, Ya Allah. You have allowed us to sit with the company of your awliya and your ulama and your sulaha, Ya Allah. But our hearts remain dark, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we remain immersed in sin, Ya Allah. And we teach others how to sin. Ya Allah, grant us the tawfiq to, stop, to teach others how to do good, to leave our sins, Ya Allah. To be a source of guidance for this world, for this community, for this country, Ya Allah. Ya Allah. Bless us and bless this country and bless the entire world, Ya Allah. Allow us to be beacons of light and guidance, Ya Allah, for the entire ummah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins, our minor sins, our major sins. Ya Allah, we sin in the day, we sin in the night, we sin publicly, we sin secretly, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive us for our sins and rectify us in our deeds, Ya Allah. You grant us taqwa, Ya Allah, as we are not able to attain it on our own, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, you forgive us for our sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, protect our parents, protect our, mash- our satida, and protect our mashaykh, our teachers and our mashaykh, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, protect us and our children and our families, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, make all of our affairs easy for us and allow us and inspire us and grant us the tawfiq to choose the path that is always most pleasing to you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, protect us and our children and allow us and our children to be used for the khidmah and the service of this deen, Ya Allah, and do not let anyone from our line go astray, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, and all those that have passed before us, forgive them their sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, and f- fulfill all the, all the righteous needs of all those who are in need, Ya Allah, and, and, and grant a full, full shifa to all those who are sick, Ya Allah. 
اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزيننا بالحلم وأكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية اللهم إن نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذ منه نبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنت المستعان وليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون السلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Uh, there's an article I want to send out. Will you guys read it? Okay, I'll send it out anyway, inshallah. Um, it's a good article. It's kind of long. 